hello everybody at home. It's, um, it's great to see you and it's really lovely to uh, have people in, in the room here as well. So um, it's going to be fun in uh, what you see to camera here or uh, looking over to Libby over that direction or Martin over here or just to test our camera guys out. Even trying this one to that camera there just to see if they caught that. Uh, who knows? You'll find out at home, I suppose. Um, but um, today we're continuing um, our series um, uh, in and uh, through the, the I Am statements um, of Jesus. Um, in the Gospel of John, um, God became man and told us what he was like. So uh, these statements are, are revelatory. They, uh, they're transformational. Uh, the truth within them um, is, is utterly incredible. It changes our lives. And um, so if you're, if you're new to Scripture, um, each one of these starts with the phrase, I am. Oh, there we go. We're, uh, we're booming on in the room. Uh, I am, which is a name uh, that God revealed um, in the Old Testament. I am that I am, the God who needs no definition. So great and vast is he. Um, followed by a description of, um, uh, of Jesus' uh, character. And, and most of these um, descriptions are, are linked into some sort of um, uh, event um, that the statement itself tries to, to kind of shed a, a little bit of, of light on and, and opens up for us. So uh, today we're looking at I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, it's in John chapter 11. So if you've got a Bible, then um, uh, do be turning there. Uh, if not, the words will come up on the screen. Um, I'm going to be reading from the, the ESV. And just to give a, a little bit of context, um, Jesus has heard that his, his friend Lazarus, his dear friend, um, is very seriously ill. And um, someone has come to Jesus and asked him to go and visit Lazarus um, in order that he might heal him. Uh, but in the sovereign plan of Jesus, um, he, he has delayed going uh, such that Lazarus has now actually died. And so we pick up the story today as Jesus arrives on the scene, and here's what it says. John 11, reading from verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha, uh, had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, uh, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Good old activist Martha, we've heard that one before. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And uh, if you know the story, of course, you'll, you'll know that Jesus then uh, went on to raise Lazarus uh, from the dead. Why don't we just begin, oh, just begin by praying together. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for the, the gift and the revelation of your words. Um, we pray today that we would be transformed by it as your spirit illuminates it and changes our hearts. We say, come to us, God. Let this wonderful love that you have for us be uh, tangibly felt in these truths contained in this passage, we pray. Change us, Lord, and uh, come to us, strengthen us in these days. Amen. Amen. 
I was um, reading a book a, a few years ago. It was a biography of um, C.S. Lewis, who, uh, if you don't know, uh, wrote uh, um, the Chronicles of Narnia. And one of the things that he said was um, that uh, the, the idea of faith is that it makes sense of life. And, and he was right. He, he, he said that um, our, our Christian faith should give explanation to the world around us. And, and, and what he's picking up on is that Jesus, in his word, the, the Bible, has something to say into every area of life, including the ones that we discuss the least. And, and today, the, our passage opens up for us a, a topic which is very much avoided in our society, and that is the topic of how are we to treat death? Now, we might as well call that out from the start. That's a little bit morbid, isn't it, for what are we, uh, 20 to 11 on a, a Sunday morning, or much later if you're watching this in the repeat later. I would have loved for the passage this week uh, to be the kind of Bible 101 on homeschooling your kids, or uh, how to treat the third lockdown, or how to find the gifts in a WhatsApp group that everybody else can find, but you just don't seem to be able to. Maybe I'm just in awe of Chris Barton on that one. But actually, the way that we, 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 we preach through the Bible, by just laying it out, either going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, or just following a theme through a book, it just it allows God to set the agenda. And actually, with something like this that we wouldn't normally choose to speak to us, uh, to, to speak about, um, I, I think God wants to give us a, a fresh perspective, perhaps bring us some freedom um, in this area. I'm, I'm excited for what God wants to deposit within us today because we wouldn't normally choose to talk about these things together. So let me kick off with a quote. Uh, it's from the, a Guardian article in 2017, and here's what it says. The idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. So wrote cultural anthropologist Ernest Becker. It's a fear strong enough to compel us to force kale down our throats, run, run sweatily on a treadmill at 7 a.m. on a Monday morning, and show unclothed parts of our bodies to a stranger with cold hands and a white coat if we feel something is a little off. And of course, it terrifies us. Death anxiety appears to be at the core of several mental health disorders, whilst a 2014 survey found that eight in 10 Brits are uncomfortable talking about death, and only one third have written a will. Death is a subject that is in the news constantly, and the sad reality of the situation at, at the moment, of course, is that uh, many of us, it's getting to the stage where many of us either uh, know someone personally who has died from COVID, or perhaps know a, a friend of a friend, or a, you know, a relative of, of a friend who's, who's passed away fr from this illness. And uh, we're getting daily updates uh, on the news at the moment of the number of people who have died um, uh, uh, in 28 days of a, of a positive COVID test. And I suspect that most of us, some point in the last year, have thought about either our own or those close to us, mortality um, in, in recent times. The fear of death is actually the root of why so much of our entertainment is fundamentally about distraction. So whether it's Strictly or MasterChef, whether it's The Crown or the next Bond film that's out this year, whether it's Premier League on Prime or scrolling through TikTok, we call it escapism, don't we? Like we love it. We call it escapism. It, it's, it's a distraction from some of the harsh realities of life. Woody Allen, the US film director, said, I'm not afraid of death. 
I just don't want to be there when it happens. It was to a a desperate and grieving Martha that um, Jesus arrived and was immediately confronted with the death of her brother. If you had been here, Jesus said, uh, Martha said, then my brother wouldn't have died. And there's a natural and godly despising of death that is going on there. Death was never part of God's original design. It's a sign of the brokenness of a creation spoiled by sin. We were always meant to live with God and dwell with him on the earth forever. And so when we see it, we are right to mourn death. We're right to lament it. We're right to be saddened by it. Jesus arrived four days after Lazarus' death, and that's an important number in the story. Um, In the um, widely held Jewish beliefs uh, at the time, most of them believed in an afterlife of of some sort, apart from the the kind of ruling party uh, known as the the Sadducees, the aristocracy of the time, if you like. Um, but, But the belief was that the soul of a person, when they died, hovered over their body for the first three days Um, after their death, and and may, in uh, unusual circumstances, have have re-entered and the person come back to life. But by four days, the belief was the soul had very much gone, and the person was not coming back to life. So Lazarus was very definitely dead. And Martha expresses a perspective that I think lots of us can identify with. She says in verse 21, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That is, she she has a hope. She knows it's connected to Jesus. But ultimately, it, it perhaps seems, as you read it, a little limited, maybe not so tangible, perhaps slightly confused. Well, note if we were to read on in the story in verse 39, that when Jesus gets to Lazarus's tomb and asks for the tombstone to be rolled away, it's Martha who puts up the ejection. No, Lord, it's been in there four days. By now, there'll be a terrible odor. How many of us have felt the fear of death circling around? I'm not meaning just the, the mere prospect. I mean the irrational fear. How many of us have been confused about how to grieve the loss of a loved one? What should I be feeling? I I just feel numbness. How many of us feel like we know exactly what happens when we ourselves die? You see, Martha's hope here still seems to be relatively general. But in Jesus, here's the first point, general hope becomes specific. General hope becomes specific. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It doesn't just remain a general outcome. The hope of the resurrection becomes specific in a person. Jesus Christ. Margaret Keenan is a, a name that will be um, familiar to, uh, to many of you, the 91-year-old uh, from Coventry who, on the 8th of December last year, received the first 
COVID vaccine of anyone um, in the world. Um, my wondering with that is why on earth the person who was in charge of the scheduling did not put the, the name at number two up to number one. For the name at number two was a William Shakespeare from Warwickshire. How amazing would that have been if he was the first one ever to receive the COVID vaccine? But on that day, a general hope that I could get a vaccine, that you could get a vaccine, became specific in a person. How much more with the one who can raise the dead? I don't know where you're at uh, watching this online this morning or, or in the room. Maybe you might not call yourself a Christian and you're just checking out church. Maybe you've got some questions of life and faith. And it's so great to have you here. I would love to meet you on the Zoom call afterwards. Just say hello, get to know you a bit. Maybe there's a general intrigue or a wondering about life beyond the grave. Perhaps there's a fear of what you perceive to be the unknown. Or maybe you would call yourself a Christian and, and, and you know that if you believe in Jesus, you'll be with him forever, but, but it's the lack of the, the what or the where or the how of death that can sometimes let in this fear. But as ever, fear is just false evidence appearing real. And the Bible gives a much greater clarity and hope. So I'm going to give you the Bible's afterlife 101. So you ready? Here we go. Sleeves rolled up. Let's go. Happy statement to start. First of all, we will all die. What can we do? Unless, of course, Jesus returns uh, before. Benjamin Franklin said that the only certainty in life is death and taxes. And if, and I should say only if, we believe in him, our soul will be with Jesus straight away, straight away. There's no soul sleep. There's no purgatory or limbo. No, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. No, we will go straight into his presence. And Psalm 16 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And then at some point, Jesus will return from heaven to earth. Now, we don't know when that's going to be. There are all manner of, of theories, uh, things people come up with. Uh, my favorite one is um, there was a, a, a Spanish international goalkeeper, uh, a footballer by the name of Carlos Roa, who thought that Jesus was going to return at the millennium. So in 1999, he gave up his football career uh, to become a monk. Um, 2001, he restarted his football career. But just taking some of the more complicated questions, you know, interpretation of the book of Revelation, etc., out of it, our souls, at that moment, as Jesus returns to earth, our souls will be reunited with our newly resurrected, glorified bodies. And in fact, it will be both the bodies of believers and unbelievers that will be raised at that point to get ready for what the Bible calls the day of final judgments, where we will all stand before his throne. And actually, it's a pretty sobering assessment. The Bible says that we'll all be found wanting. 
that there's none of us who have worshipped or honoured God fully. But, it says, for those trusting in Jesus, his death and his resurrection, by which we are forgiven, by which we are cleansed, by which his righteousness, that is his right record before God the Father, is imputed, that is credited to our account, means that we will be found not guilty. That's the status over you now, if you believe in Jesus, and forever. And God will wrap all things up in that moment, in the present universe. That will include the destruction of all sin and all death and of the devil. So all evil will disappear. And he will create a new heavens and a new earth, which will join together as the dwelling place of God and of all of us who love him. And we will live eternally with him, worshiping and enjoying him forever, experiencing the rewards of our life's labor, the good works that he has laid in advance for us to walk in. It's difficult to say the next bit, but I genuinely believe that it is more loving to give you the whole truth because the glaring omission so far is that because God is just, those who have rejected him will suffer the granting of that rejection by being separated from him forever in a place that the Bible calls hell. And if you feel awkward or uncomfortable in this moment right now, me too, it's how we're meant to feel. And you know, the church, like God himself, does not want anyone to end up there. It's part of why we talk about this message of Jesus, the gospel that saves us from it, as well as the beautiful life of freedom that he gives. And so I just want to say that if, if in mentioning this, it leaves you confused, or there's questions that arise, maybe it just really grates that I've even mentioned it, please would you get in touch? We would love to talk to you about it. But the biggest thing to say is that seeing Jesus will be the focus of it all. And that will make sense of all of our questions. The point of what Jesus is saying to Martha is not so much the process, but the person. Jesus didn't tell Martha how he told her who. And so the second point is that um, in Jesus, future hope becomes present. Future hope becomes present. The day that I proposed to my wife, Emma, will forever stick in my mind. It's a story that I love to tell um, anyone who asks involving um, elaborate plans to try and extract Emma and her stuff from a house in Bedford uh, without giving the game away, uh, issuing her with a, a diary of our relationship, uh, a homeless guy that we met at the site we got engaged, and four friends uh, who got the schedule wrong and so were stuck in a bathroom at my house by themselves for 45 minutes with a freshly made lasagna. Story for another time. But on that day, my future hope of one day marrying Emma became a present certainty. 
It hadn't happened fully yet, but it had begun. The ring was the sign. The, the ring that anyone's uh, bought an engagement ring will know that you, you learn all this information, the four C's and all of that, and then like the day after you bought it, you just forget all of it. Now Jesus says, oh, Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That is our hope of resurrection and eternal life is completely grounded in Jesus. And in him, all of the happenings of the future are pulled into a present certainty. You can be as certain of your eternal future with Jesus that you'll be raised up, that will be full of goodness, that will be devoid of all evil as you can that he was raised from the dead. Because in this story, Jesus said he was, a resur- he was the resurrection. He raised a man then was raised himself, now raises you. He said he was the life, and then he gave life to a man, and then he gave his life, and now gives life to you. And that means that you can allow it to interrupt and to affect your present day. That's Bible thinking on eternity, that it gives a a certainty of outcome, that it gives hope to present challenges. Romans 8 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that one day will be revealed in us. That is a memory verse as you are homeschooling your children in the art of long division or trying to desperately describe what on earth osmosis is. Cling on to it. We don't just become this new creation or get this new identity when we receive our glorified body. If you trust in Jesus, your eternal life has begun now forever, the day you became a Christian. That's why Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives, that is, has eternal life and believes in me shall never die. He imparts life now and even better to come the wonderfully named Randolph Vincent Greenwood Tasker is a commentator on this passage, and he he wrote this. To believe in him is not only to be assured about the resurrection at the last day, but to experience here and now something of that eternal life to which resurrection is the prelude. And to remind you of that, Jesus has, of course, poured out his spirit the engagement ring of the afterlife, if you like, the sign of what's to come. Ephesians 1 says that he is the deposit that guarantees our inheritance. And so every time you sense his presence, every time you hear his voice, every time you produce his fruit, every time you see his sanctifying work in your life, that is a sign that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, where you will live forever. The last thing is this. In Jesus, his life becomes ours. Jesus has already been shown to be the resurrection and the life in in the Gospel of John. And uh, the commentator Bruce Milne, not quite as extravagantly named, 
But uh, he, he writes this. Jesus' remarkable reply, I am the resurrection and the life, is a culmination of the unfolding revelation in the preceding chapters. Materially, he gives life to water, making it wine. Spiritually, he offers the new life of the kingdom of God to Nicodemus. And the life which springs up within a person, satisfying all thirst to the woman of Samaria. Physically, he imparts life to a dying boy, a paralytic, and a man born blind. He is the good shepherd who has come to give life to the full and now fills out these claims to their fullest proportion. Just consider this, this story here in John chapter 11. Jesus sees a desperate need, and then just at the right time, in accordance with his perfect plan, he confounds human expectation when he comes vulnerably into a confused and fearful and grieving place, staring death in the face before defeating it and raising up a dead, beloved person to newness of life. And that's the Lazarus story, but it's also the gospel story. There's a hint here that this story is very much linked into Jesus' own death and resurrection. It comes towards the end in verse 45 of chapter 11, where some of the Jews join Jesus, but others go after the Pharisees, the sort of, I guess, religious party of the people at the time, and they start to plot to kill Jesus. And the end of this story ends with the route to the cross for Jesus. And so in his death and resurrection, his life, Jesus' life, now that we are incorporated into him, now becomes our life. He died, and we died to our old self. He was raised, and we too are raised to newness of life. He lives forever in his glorified body, just as we will do. This is what it means to be in Christ. It's why death has no hold over us. Because Jesus has already beaten it by being raised to life. It's why there need be, a, be no fear of it. Because of the certainty of the resurrection. And it's why you need not worry what it will be like. Because you know what he is like. Jesus ends by asking Martha a question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And if you'd call yourself a Christian here today, Jesus would ask you this question. Do you believe this? Are you going to allow that belief to infiltrate your life, your perspective? The way forward is to come to him. I saw a great quote this week, a, a wonderful book called Gentle and Lowly, just towards the end. It said that the Christian life can be summed up in two steps. Number one, come to Jesus. Number two, repeat number one. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And um, once again, it's just brilliant to, to have you here. We'd love to get to know you more. But Jesus too would ask you this question. Do you believe this? And he would invite you to receive this certainty, to receive this freedom from fear. Not necessarily just freedom from fear of death, freedom from all sorts of fear. And best of all, to know him. I'm going to invite the band back up and um, what we're going to pray um, to close. 
So in the, um, in the uh, prayer booklets, there's a daily focus for each day. And the one for today is um, healing from some of the difficulties of 2020 for us personally, for uh, our brothers and sisters um, in the church. And, you know, this, this topic, um, maybe for, um, for you, might have um, really just kind of tugged on a heartstring because it's, it's been a very, very real experience for you, either someone um, that you know or uh, someone who's not doing so well right now. Maybe it might be, be that you found yourself, um, even now, just um, uh, this kind of irrational fear of, uh, of the, the impact um, of this disease, just bringing it up in you. Um, I just want to pray for you um, right now. And um, Banal just gives a bit of um, atmosphere in the background. And um, where you are and in the room, I'd just like to invite us um, to stand. I think it's just something about shaking ourselves out of the position and putting the cushions back on the sofa. And just to say, Lord, we're ready. We're ready to receive from you. I want to pray for you particularly if, um, if there's a fear of death that you have um, identified within yourself. And um, if that's not you, would you just pray with me and uh, uh, join with me in praying for those that are uh, very much feeling this right now? And why don't we just close our eyes and just uh, begin to welcome the Holy Spirit. We thank you, you're the spirit of um, wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. We pray, Spirit of comfort, come to your people right now and bring the freedom that the gospel gives. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, I think it is, that the gospel gives freedom for those who've been imprisoned by the fear of death for a lifetime. And so right now, Lord, I ask that for those who are suffering this particular fear right now, would you release them from it in this moment? Would you come alongside and let them know that the certainty of the future is in the certainty of the resurrection, in the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. I just see a, a, a picture for um, some right now. Of, it's almost like you're taking, you've been wearing excessive clothing. You know, you've had layer upon layer upon layer upon layer and coat and coat and coat. And you're just beginning to take some of those things off. Almost like Jesus is just beginning to um, strip things away a little bit. You know, well, I kind of like that, that layer. It gave me some comfort. But Jesus wants you to be able to move freely and nimbly not to have to sit there with so many layers on that you're constricted in how you live for him. Jesus doesn't want constriction for you in your life. He came to set you free. And the Bible says, he who has the son is free indeed. In this moment, Holy Spirit, I just pray, break this fear right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.